It is Locked on Jazz for the 24th of May. What wins in the NBA? A look at the four factors of NBA basketball and what leads to winning. Trent Forrest spent a solid year and was a missed piece in the playoffs. What is his role moving forward? And we continue to peruse other rosters today, the Boston Celtics. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz and Jazz NBA insider. And this is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. Greatly appreciate all the stars you can give us. And if you're on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up, a like, a follow, a comment, any of those kind of things. It's greatly appreciated. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet online as you covered this season with more props, odds, lines than ever before. Bet online where the game starts. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are live again today. Chat room is up and running. We've kind of been floating between live and non-live. If anybody uh, wants to share with me what the user experience is um, and what's better in that way, there's a bunch of features that I can do on YouTube specifically if we're not live where I can go through and kind of add some things to the show for you. Um, and then, uh, but if we are live, you, we have more interaction and, and, and really it's only with me. Whereas if I just premiere it, you have the same interaction. So super curious uh, from your standpoint of what's a better user experience. If you could email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'll look at Trent Forrest and we will look at the Boston Celtics on our series here in a second, but let's start with what wins in the NBA. Dean Oliver, many years ago, wrote a book called Basketball on Paper. It was a revolutionary book in regards to what uh, basketball is made of. And he broke the league into four factors. Uh, And the four factors are your shooting, effective field goal percentage. So that weighs three-point shooting. Your turnover percentage. Your offensive rebounding percentage or defensive rebounding percentage. And the amount you go to the free throw line or the amount you keep someone off the free throw line. So those became the four factors of the NBA. Let me say them again, just quickly. Effective field goal percentage An effective field goal percentage weighs a three point shot uh, to your basically points per shot. And then the second one is your turnover percentage percentage of your possessions that are turnovers. And then your offensive rebounding and your free throws or your defensive rebound. Okay. So that's the, Uh, that's the way to look at it. So what wins in the NBA? If you take, and I like to look at the top six. To me, the top six is six out of 30. It's one fifth of the, uh, of the look. It's a 20% in kind of the 20% in the top, 20% in the bottom of elite at that positions, um, is, tells you a little bit about kind of what matters and what wins. So first off, obviously, if you're great offensively or you're great defensively, you win. 
And I think that's super important. As we look at like what the Jazz are trying to do, we probably have to be really careful to not get caught in the middle. So if you're a top six offensive team, you averaged 51 wins this season. And that's what I did. I looked at the top six in all of the four factors plus offensive and defensive efficiency and the bottom six, that's it, and what their average win rate was. So the top six in offensive efficiency won 51 games. The top six in defensive efficiency won 54 games. That's the biggest number of the 10 categories. Offensive overall, any of the four factors. Defensive overall, any of the four factors. 10 categories there. The biggest number that exists is 54 in the defensive efficiency. The smallest number, interestingly enough, is, uh, and uh, this was probably known, that efficiency numbers were going to be the biggest or smallest. There's no surprise here, um, and and we'll move past that in a second, was offensive efficiency. If you're a bottom six offensive team, you only win 24, you only average 24 wins. So you better be able to score. Now, let's look at the four factors. So the eight factors, offensive and defensive shooting, offensive and defensive turnovers, offensive and defensive rebounding, offensive and defensive free throw. The number one thing, the biggest winning rate is whether you can shoot it. Not a huge surprise. 50 of the top six offensive teams win win 53, average 53 wins. So when the Jazz rebooted, three years ago and built a team that could shoot it really important. Great read of the market. Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck, the right read of the marketplace. You've got to be able to shoot it in this league. And we've seen that, you know, Dallas loses game three because they can't shoot it. Utah loses a series because they can't shoot it for a given night. So that's the number one issue. How you win as you shoot it. The number two is really fascinating. The number two is defensive turnovers. And the reason I think for this is getting in transition is such a valuable piece of the puzzle. And we'll look at this as the week goes on. There's more in depth than just these four factors because we can look at play context and if you're in transition, how much it matters. But the average play in the half court averages 95.7 points per 100 possessions, 0.957 points per possession. The average transition is 1.24 and off a steal is 1.44. So those teams that are able to force turnovers, and I hate the stat because there's such a big difference between live ball turnovers and um, dead ball turnovers, but those teams that are able to force turnovers, top 20% of teams forcing turnovers, won 52 games, on average, 52 games. That is the second highest of any of the four factors. Now, interestingly enough, just to kind of twist and turn on this, teams that forced the fewest turnovers also won 44, an average of 44 games, which is the most of any of the four factors on the bad side. So if you're in the bottom six of a category, of any of those eight categories, 
the two that seem to have the least impact on winning are offensive and defensive turnovers. If you're in the bottom six of offensive turnovers, you still won half your games. If you're in the bottom six of forcing turnovers, you actually won more than half your games. It means a team like the Jazz was in the bottom six, has something else that they're doing defensively. It's a conscious effort to just stay in position, force you into shots and into looks. But it's an interesting note, and you wonder whether in the playoffs that might have less value as you play better teams and that can shoot better and suddenly you're not forcing turnovers and you're not getting easy possessions. The fact that our offense fell apart in the playoffs, you wonder if that's a part of it. That There's a lot to that right there, but it's worth digging into a little bit. That While in the regular season, we don't force turnovers. It doesn't inhibit us at all. The fact that we don't force turnovers in the playoffs and then we don't get out and run at all and we're stuck in the half court for much of the playoffs, is that part of the reason that we had an offensive collapse in this year's playoffs? Okay, just stylistically, worth worth looking into. Here are some other notes on this. So a f- shooting, the top, 16, top 20% shooting versus the bottom 20% shooting. 53 wins if you're a top team, 32 wins if you're bottom. Got to be able to shoot it. So we look at players you're trying to acquire and you want your defensive wings, got to be able to shoot it. Turnovers offensively. If you're in the top 20% in turnovers, not, not turning it over. 49 wins. If you're in the bottom 20%, you still win 41. That's got the least one of the least differentials you see. Offensive rebounding, seemingly non-impactful. 42%, uh, 42 wins, dead even for the top six, 38 for the bottom six. Rebounding, offensive rebounding doesn't seem to matter unless it really attributes to good offensive efficiency. Free throws. Top six teams getting the free throw line, 45 wins per. Bottom six teams, 38 wins per. Not a huge, not a huge issue there. Shooting and offense really is the thing, right? 21 win differential between that. There's a little difference between getting to the line. There's a seven and and a little difference in turnovers, but not a great deal. Frankly, offense is about shooting. Get shooters. Get Boyan Bogdanovich, right? Get guys who can stroke. All right, defensively, defending the shot. Top 20% won 49% of the, 49 games, not 49%, won 49 games on average. The bottom six only won 30. That is the lowest number of any four factors. So if you can't defend the shot, you lose. If you're a bottom six defending the shot team, it makes sense. The highest is shooting is you only win on average 30 games a year. The defensive efficiency, if you're a top 49, we talk about turnovers, 52 average wins of the top 20% teams that force turnovers, 52 wins. But if you don't, doesn't seem to hurt you. From a defensive rebounding standpoint, if you're a top six defensive rebounding team, you average 46 wins, you average 36 if you're a bottom. That one's interesting. Like there's something that defensive rebounding seems to be more important than offensive rebounding. And then whether you foul or not doesn't seem to have a big problem. The top teams in fouling still only won 40% of their games or that didn't foul only won 40% of the games and the others were at 37. So that might play into the turnovers. You're fouling a little bit more because you're getting those turnovers and that's worth it in the process. So that's a quick look at who wins, who doesn't. We used to do these shows. Frankly, I would do 30 minutes on that and I think it was too much. Hopefully that's enough. If you're interested, you know, kind of one, I have a friend who is in the business. He makes documentaries and he used to say that his job with a documentary is to, to give you enough information that then you go look it up 
for the rest of it. So if that intrigues you, you can kind of take the next step. Um, and if not, then I'm sorry. All right. Trent Forrest is our focus, the undrafted Florida State winner and what uh, we learned from him and what it means for this upcoming year. Today's show is brought to you by this Tuesday edition of the show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Linden as well. As in Logan, the Murdochs have been in Utah for over 80 years. They're a part of the community, and that's why they're not charging more than MSRP on any car uh, right now. I'll tell you what, I am driving the Sonata, and I think it's a really terrific, terrific car. It's a sedan. It's got all the bells and whistles you'd ever need. It looks good. I'm driving a bright red one, so I got to be a little careful, right, of all the police. Isn't that the old story? Is that true? I wonder if that's still true. Uh, But it's really beautiful. The Elantra is the North American car of the year last year. And that's this, this, their regular sedan lineup is really, really terrific. Um, And you should go check them out. The Sonata drives, like it's amazing. The car I have right now, I think is maybe about a $35,000 car, maybe a little bit more. And it just, I can't imagine a nicer car. Uh, The SUV lineup is the little Kona, the zippy one, the beautiful Palisade. Every time I see it, I yearn for it. We've got two of the Santa Fe's. Uh, it's all over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street in Logan and Linden. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com to let me know uh, that you're heading over there. We'll give you a VIP meeting. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more on the same parts of a chain store or a car dealership? Take an example, the Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store and $216 from Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto's prices are reliably low for every customer, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or whether or you're a professional. So everything you need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil, probably even to carpet. It's all there. Windshield wipers, DEF, diesel, all of it there for you. So go explore their easy-to-use website, their old-school website, and it's rockauto.com. See all the parts your car will ever need. Write Locked On in the How Do You Hear About a section, please. That's, again, right Locked On in the How Do You Hear About a section. But enjoy Rock Auto. You'll see amazing selection, reliably low parts, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Trent Forrest, the Utah Jazz backup point guard last year, and there's a lot to really like about Trent Forrest. First of all, the energy, the effort, the play, the style, just the hungriness. Um, in his second year with the Jazz, he played 60 games. He obviously missed the entire playoffs with a left midfoot ligament sprain. Uh, that was really a bummer. And there's some unique things to Trent Forrest. So the first thing that's the most unique about Trent Forrest is that he can't shoot. And that will highlight... Unfortunately, all conversations about this six foot four, 210 pound guard, because everything else about him is fabulous. His size, six four, 210 as a point guard, terrific. His moxie, terrific. His isolation skills, super good. His ability to play against switches, really good. His defensive ability to play against switches, really good. The one thing that jumps out about Trent and just leaves you in question is he truly is not a shooter. Even in college, he shot 25% from three at Florida State after four years there, after 137 games, when he was abs- when he was absolutely, um, you know, one of the great winners. Leonard Hamilton talks about him as one of the greatest kids he's ever had. And he goes undrafted, despite 
perfect size, great athleticism, great feel for the game, super on ball defense because he's just not a good shooter. And in two years in the NBA, he's 10 of 53 from three. So you can easily say that you dismiss Trent Forrest and say, there's not a player in the NBA that shoots threes at that at that level and plays. And you know what? You're right. I think last time I checked it, and I, I didn't check it for this segment. I do think if you kind of do a quick scan on him as a player and you look at three-point shooting and, you know, players who took, you know, 53-point shots in a game, it's not very many, right, in the season. He only, you know, there, there's a sample size here that is, pretty small we're talking about he took 53 three-point shots but last time I ran it before the playoffs my memory was that if I if you took a player that had taken 53 point shots Trent Forrest had the lowest three-point shooting percentage I think of anyone in the league so you know that seems like kind of silly it's an but it you know it also is enough I think that's a little disconcerting um so what does it mean one is on an offensive end he has to play with the ball in his hands okay you really can't play Trent Forrest unless he has the ball in his hands. And the reason for that is he then is just not being guarded. But if you're going to play him, if he does have the ball in his hands, then he's a pretty impressive player in in ha- in what he does. He runs the offense well. He's very good driving. He's a strong finisher at the rim. And so he does a bunch of things that really, really well. If we dig into kind of his plus minus and what he meant, and like some of the interesting numbers on him are his isolation numbers. So for example, as the ball handler defensively in isolation this year, teams only got 0.83 points per possession on Forrest. The only one who was actually better in isolation defense on our roster last year interestingly and surprisingly, is Jordan Clarkson. Royce O'Neal was 0.88, which is pretty good. Um, Donovan and Mike Conley were in the point. Donovan was over a point. Mike Conley was at 0.93. Boyan was about the same level. And Trent Forrest was 0.83 as an isolation defender. And then surprisingly, also as an isolation ball handler, he was okay. And what we really saw in the, like, the most highlighted version of that all season long was against the Warriors when the Warriors were switching, trying to hide Steph Curry on Trent. And Trent's so powerful and strong that he went to the basket and scored. He was a better isolation scorer than Mike, than Boyan. Not as good as Donovan, obviously, who's fabulous at it. Actually, not as good as Jared Butler was terrific. Much better than Royce. Um, and you know, Joe, that was probably where Joe's game was most noticeably. So in the, uh, hurt was in that he, he's very, very good, um, in all of those realms in the pick and roll game, he ran our fourth most amount of pick and rolls and was the second best second or third best pick and roll player on the team this last year. He was really, really good. He averaged about 1.04 points per possession on the pick and roll and was one of the best you know, one of the jazz best players at the pick and roll. So offensively, as long as he has the ball in his hands, he's really good. The problem is the minute he gets off the ball, that 15% three point shooting is, is really, truly a problem. And can he be a slasher? Can he be moving? How does he deal with those things? But this is a guy who 
because of everything he does well, I think he has a role in the league. Is he good enough that he can become like your starting point guard? That's hard to do, right? Because frankly, I don't know. Like, here's the here's the yin and yang of Trent Forrest. He's the perfect guy to put next to Donovan Mitchell. He's 6'4", 210. He can always guard the best offensive player. He can, or offensive player. He can take a huge burden off of Donovan. But Donovan needs to have the ball offensively. And so you the minute Trent gives up the ball, even if it's like a tight curl for Jordan Clarkson, Trent's man is going to the ball. And that's going to be the difficulty for any time Trent's on the floor and how you use him and what he does for you is the minute he gives up the ball, they're leaving him wide open. So then he's got to be a slasher and a passer off of those kind of actions where he's left wide open and given those opportunities. Our offense was actually a little bit better when he was on the floor than off the floor. And our defense was actually worse, which is totally contrary to everything you would have expected from him this year. So I think you have to kind of go with your eyes over some of the numbers, kind of understanding what he is as a player. But I think he's a valuable rotation NBA piece of the puzzle for the uh, for the Utah Jazz, and I think that he's a um, – I, I don't think you can play him next to Donovan as much as you might hope you want to because I think Donovan's got to have the ball in his hands all the time. Um, but he is someone who I think can be really valuable and work uh, with someone. And I think, you know, shooting generally gets better. However, shooting at this level with a collegiate record of not shooting well and with a free, the number one number you look at in college is your free throw shooting and whether or not he was a 70, his last year was an 82% was hopeful, 75% free throw shooting is not brilliant. Um, And the shooting stroke really needs a rebuild. So he, you know, can he get better? Certainly, because I think he was the lowest in the league who took 53s, but can he, become a viable 35% three-point shooter seems unlikely. He's always going to be hovering around that. But a great kid, um, a super teammate, and does a lot of things well. So I think that's a piece for the future. We'll look at the Boston Celtics as we continue. Today's show brought to you in part by Prize Picks. You pick two to four players and an over-under on their projections, and you wind up with – you win up to 10 times your entry – uh, it's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy for you. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Use the award winning app on the App Store or Google Play. Prize Picks offers a variety of options. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from point scores to rebounds to steals. So, it's not just NBA, by the way, college basketball, college football during this season, but also NFL, MLB, right now, soccer, MMA, anything. For a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no brainer offer for you on all users. Use up to $50. Users get up to $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point, but you must use the code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to locked on fans. Sign up today and use the code NBA to get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Pick entry scores a single point it is locked on jazz your daily podcast on the utah jazz thanks very much for subscribing following leaving five stars thumbs up and thanks very much for making us your first listen of the day for your second listen today locked on nba big board is a top 200 itunes chart right now 
Make sure you get the likes with host Rafael Barlow, the author of the NBA Big Board Newsletter, with all the latest on the NBA draft, mock drafts, player rankings. Chad Holmgren's got to be one of the most interesting players ever in the NBA draft. So we'll look at that. All right, we are on a series of uh, looks at teams in the NBA, and we're looking at the Boston Celtics today. We're just going alphabetically east to west. Um, We'll have to do two teams at some point. I'm building the schedule for it. It's not too complicated. So... I don't know what we could really get out of Boston um, with their search situation. They are $2 million over the tax line um, right now. So uh, as they, some of their salaries expand, they may have to do some things. So just kind of to look at them next year, the 22, 23 year, they have Tatum at 30 million, Jalen Brown at 28 million. Um, Al Horford is a non-guaranteed 26.5. If they want to let Al Horford go, we'll take him. He's just such a winner. I don't care if he's 36. Marcus Smart's at 17 million. Derek White's an interesting one. He's at 16 million. They acquired him at the trade deadline. He's been a nice fit. Um, he's been important to them, but they do have some younger players upcoming that could be a lot cheaper there. I wonder whether they might consider moving him. He's got 16.9 million in 2022. He's got 18.1 million in 23, 24. He's got 19 million in 24, 25. Robert Williams has been signed for a four-year deal at about 10 or 11 million. So they're not moving that. Daniel Tice is on the books for eight or nine million. So they do have, you know, they do have, they're a little center heavy. Now, Al Horford is pretty great. They have to, Grant Williams will be up for an extension. uh, And then they have to decide what they're doing with Aaron Neesmith, who's been a little bit of a flop and Peyton Pritchard. And then the rest of their lineup is former jazz, uh, frankly, former jazz, uh, G League players, Malik Fitz and Jawan Morgan. So I don't know what they would move on this roster other than Derek White. Um, and I like Derek White an awful lot. I think Derek White would be a perfect complement next to Donovan Mitchell. He's 6'4", 190. He is de- defensively actually comes out as one of the better uh, guards out there. He's a surprisingly good shot blocker. Um, he played 41 minutes uh, last night for the Celtics in the win. So he's obviously important as Marcus Smart didn't play. He's not, you know, his shooting is suspect. He's a 34% three-point shooter. Uh, We just talked about how you've got to shoot to win. He shot 31% in the regular season. He's shooting 22% from three in the playoffs. So that is the concern on White. That's why I think the Spurs were willing to get off of him and the long contract he had. Um, His shooting had a kind of a peak three years ago at 37%, then went to 35, then went to 31, then uh, has stayed there at 31 this season. Uh, Again, but he is, in my book, what I would, if you ask me about elite defensive guard players in the league, White hits that for me. He's not an elite athlete, but he is a pretty good defensive player. He's 29th pick of the 2017 draft. Um, he plays the game smart and he plays the game right. He's interesting to me at 15 million. Now we go and do the share screen here for those of you that are on YouTube. And we look at the, um, you know, the trade machine, because this is what anyone can do. And Derek White's at 15 million. So what is it that the Jazz would have that Boston wants? So the first thing Boston would want would be less money to get under the they're $2 million under the tax line and they've got some increase in salaries coming. And so, you know, what would, you know, that would be the first thing they would probably want is to make sure they get off the money sooner than they would otherwise. We're over the tax line, so we don't really want to do that. Um, and so 
for 15, you start to piece together our numbers um, that are under 15 million. So Clarkson's at 12.4, Royce O'Neill's at 8.8, Rudy Gay's at 5.8. If you combine Rudy Gay and Royce O'Neill, you can make the trade and it's a million dollar savings for the Celtics and they get off of, uh, Royce has got two more years left and Rudy Gay's got two more years left. Rudy Gay's two years might be hard to move. Um, And that really kind of, Jordan Clarkson's at 12 with two more years to Derek White. We don't have a lot of drivers. We've talked about drivers and athletes. Jordan's there. So again, now this one starts these puzzle pieces together. This one gets really difficult to try to find something that actually works for either side um, as you as you try to find this. Now, you know, maybe uh, Danny was part of dra- drafting Aaron Neesmith. He has not panned out a great deal as a player out of Vanderbilt. Was a great, great college shooter and has only shot 20 uh, 32% in his career from three, 27% in the regular season this year, was an elite, elite college shooter. And maybe Danny still believes in that to a level where um, he believes he can go um, go get that and get that, you know, uh, and bring that back. And, and that's someone he tries to add into the package to make it worth it. And now you're at 18 million. And now you maybe can piece this together a little bit differently than you would have otherwise um, but that's probably playing Boyan into the mix of, of some sort there. So, um, and I don't really think, you know, Mike Conley doesn't really fit what Boston needs. They turned the corner when Marcus Smart became their point guard. So difficult to try to find the pieces um, to that puzzle uh, with Boston. We're going to do this each day. We'll look at a team. Some days we'll look at two um, and and see what happens. Uh, question for the live show. If we, against the grain, but if we move Butler and Wancho in the starting lineup, I like the playmaking of Butler at the end of the season. And Wancho gives us a little more rebounding. Yeah, I mean, you're just like, I don't see a lot of Wanchos and Butlers in the final eight of the playoffs right now. Like that, like, like they're cute. They're our guys. We like them. Like Jared's a second year, second round draft pick. And Wancho's a guy that's bounced around the league. Like actually Miami's playing a bunch of those guys right now. And they lost by 30 last night. Like that's a little bit of what, you know, elite, elite talent is what you have to have. Uh, Juan from Uruguay, how are you? Um, nice to say hi. We, I think we met you this year. And is it true the Jazz and Celtics had conversations about Marcus Smart this past deadline? What happened? What did the Jazz try to offer? I don't know if that's true. It was bounced around. I couldn't really figure out, you know, we can look back at that sheet a moment ago on how you would make that work. Um, if you look at it, Marcus Smart's earning 14.3. So, I mean, these aren't complicated things to do. There's no need to, like, I was some, some, you know, I don't want to talk about, I don't love talking about trading our players, but like the players sit around and do this too. Um, you know, you can look at, at the trade and look at the numbers. So I don't know what would have been our, if we were trying to trade, if they were trying to trade Marcus Smart to get out from his money, they weren't at the time. So it would have been a little bit of them trying to get out from their, that money. You're, trying to piece together. Is it a Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gay deal, which, you know, in retrospect, Marcus Smart would be great, but I can't see the Celtics doing that. Is it Jordan Clarkson deal? Um, That gets a little interesting. Is it Jared Butler and someone? Um, So we have some value. I couldn't figure out when it was being discussed, what the, what the pieces of that puzzle truly were. That is locked on jazz for the day. Thanks very much for tuning in tomorrow. What do we got tomorrow? We will look at Donovan Mitchell. And what's our alphabetical look at teams? We will look at the Brooklyn Nets. That one's got some interest of what we'll look at. Plus, we'll continue to look at what wins over the week as well. Maybe reaction to the Warriors closing out the Dallas Mavericks tonight. 
uh, if in fact that's what they do. Have a good one. By the way, that's worth conversation of where we have to put the Warriors into the context of great teams in the history of the NBA. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the live audience. Please give us a uh, please give us a follow on and a thumbs up and all of those things on the various platforms you listen. We appreciate it. Have a great one.